welcome to Smarten Up, the show where we demystify the complex world of tax and provide practical business insights. I'm your host, Sally Preston. As a business owner, I know how frustrating it can be when it seems hard to access understandable information, particularly when the topic is as complex as the tax law. So in this podcast, we will explore topics to help you make smarter decisions when it comes to your business taxes, which will ultimately benefit your bottom line. Whether you are starting up in business or have been in business for years, this podcast aims to become an essential part of your financial toolkit. Welcome to Smarten Up, your tax and business podcast. My name is Sally Preston and I'll be your host. Well, we have with us again, Ellie Murdoch, just because sometimes it's nice to have a chat with someone else. Thanks for joining us, Ellie. Thanks, Ellie. So today, talking about valuations and when you may need one. Maybe you've been told by an accountant, by a lawyer, or even a banker that you need to obtain a valuation for a particular transaction or event. This may, may be when you're planning your business for succession, planning a restructure, or even thinking about selling. Market valuations then become a really important consideration. So for tax purposes, the ATO does expect that you have obtained a valuation in certain circumstances. In fact, some parts of the tax law mandate that an external valuation is obtained. The guidance the ATO has put out on this makes it clear that it's the taxpayer's responsibility to give an accurate answer as to the market valuation and there's steep penalties and potentially unwanted tax bills for those who get it wrong. The guidance also tells us how we can get it right by setting out the evidence and processes the ATO generally expects to see as support for evaluation. So Sally, I have four key questions that I'm hoping that you can answer. Firstly, what transactions may need evaluation? When do you engage an external valuer or is a management valuation okay? How do you select the right valuer? And lastly, what happens if you don't have a valuation that meets the ATO's expectations? So maybe we can start with question one. What transactions may need evaluation? Lots. Is that an answer? <laughs> well, let's start with veering a bit away from when you may need it for tax purposes and talk about other examples. So when you want to sell your shares or part of your business, the valuation can be used as guidance to set a selling price. If you're negotiating with a third party, they may also have their own valuation. These will often differ based on the risks, et cetera, that you use when conducting your own valuation. So everyone will have their own view of what the value of an asset or business might be. Another example is you might want to approach a bank for finance. So it may be useful to understand that it, what an existing business is worth so you can make strategic decisions about the amount of the borrowing. Don't worry, I'm sure the bank will assign their own value to that business as well. Yeah, we love that. Another example might be where you're planning for your demise or death. I know that's a bit grim. <laughs> that made you laugh. Like, that's sad. <laughs> but true, we have to at some stage plan that we're going to exit our business and leave this world. So you might want a valuation of the things that you own when you're trying to figure out how to split who gets what in your will. Maybe you want to make sure your children or even your grandchildren are provided for per what you intended. So it might be that you had always thought that a block of land or a business is worth X amount, but it, the reality could be very different from what your perception is. So it's worth understanding what you're actually giving, if that's important to you. 
Another example might be when you're looking to improve the business and want to measure your business growth or increase in value per year. So maybe you're starting a project where you're looking at what your business is today and your intention is to take on, maybe you've got a new consultant that's going to help you grow your business, a new initiative, and maybe you want to look at where you are today and what difference the new initiative or assistance you've got is going to make to your business in 12 months, in two years, to really put tangible results behind the effort you've put in. So for tax purposes, there is more often times when the market value is required to be known. So let's just talk about a key one, capital gains tax. So there's a number of transactions that may be undertaken and where this is not undertaken at arm's length, you may be required to have market valuation to be substitute for an actual price. For example, if you're using the small business CGT concessions, there's a $6 million net asset test that we spoke about in an early podcast. So you would need to understand what the value of your assets is to see whether you're going to pass this test. There's certain transactions for capital gains tax purposes that happen on death that may require evaluation. And also if you were going to undertake a business restructure that we sometimes do for clients, some of those transactions are going to require understanding what the valuation of the business is. Now I'm going to get into tax nerd speak. We're going to talk about tax consolidation. So if you decide to form a corporate group for tax purposes, and we haven't spoken about that yet, but I'm sure at some stage we'll talk a little bit about tax consolidation. But if you're going to go into that sort of structuring for tax purposes, then there's certain calculations that need to be made when you enter into that group that's required under the law. And they generally require a valuation of your assets. And that can actually have a big impact on the decision to form a tax consolidated group because the outcome of those calculations can actually change the future deductions and the tax cost base should any of these assets ever be sold. When we do transactions that aren't arm's length, so if we're doing it with a related party, we may need to value our depreciating assets and trading stock because even when we sell trading stock and it's considered to be outside of the ordinary course of business, that's deemed to be undertaken at market value. So it's important that you understand what that market value of those assets are. One that we've already spoken about is employee share schemes. That is one that you need to actually value what you're giving your staff or what they're purchasing every time it happens. So they need to understand if there's a discount to what the share market is or share price is. And so you actually need to understand what that is to start with to see if there is a discount. Certain international transactions, but we'll talk about expanding internationally in the future to understand where evaluation might fit with those. And then the GST margin scheme. So if you haven't bought or sold property subject to GST, then you may never have heard of this. Um, and at some stage, I'm sure we'll be talking about this too. But generally, GST is payable on the margin for the supply rather than the amount paid for consideration under the GST margin scheme. The margin is calculated as the excess consideration over the acquisition consideration. So there's two different amounts and we have to calculate the gap. However, when the property is sold that was held before GST commenced, so 1 July 2000, the margin is actually worked out by reference to the market value of the property at that date. So you will need a valuation and there's a few qualifications around that. But generally, if it was acquired pre-GST and you want to apply the margin scheme when you sell it post-GST, then you may need a valuation of that property at the time GST came in. 
That's definitely a lot of transactions, um, which leads into my next question. When do you need to engage an external valuer? Ah, well, the ATO has a view on this. So they've stated that for tax purposes, the acceptability of evaluation usually depends on the valuation process undertaken rather than who conducted it. So it's not about who, it's about how. And this means actually a business owner or even a tax professional could conduct the valuation, barring a few exceptions where a qualified professional will need to be engaged. These exceptions include real property valuations, shouldn't do those yourself, plant and machinery valuations, market valuations for GST margin scheme purposes that we just mentioned, and market valuations for the cultural gifts program. So they're all things that you need a proper certified valuer to give you a valuation of. Otherwise, a tax professional and or even the business owner, and we'll talk a bit, I think there's some question you had about process that can actually undertake the valuation. So you can do an internal management valuation. The main thing is that the ATO has summarized eight key fundamentals of this valuation. Now, Keep in mind as we go through them that whoever does evaluation should meet this criteria and this may help you make your decision as to whether you have the capability to perform the valuation or whether you should seek external assistance. So the eight key fundamentals from the ATO are, number one, evaluation should be specific to the tax and superannuation provision that it is being applied to and consider any requirements of the relevant provisions having considered case law and relevant ATO guidance. Now, I don't know about you, Ellie, but if I was a business owner without a detailed tax knowledge, I probably wouldn't want to be relying on my management valuation if I needed a val for tax purposes, simply for that first criteria. (laughs) That's a little overwhelming. Number two, the market value is conceptually distinct from historical cost. So the original price that is paid for goods and services or the amount paid to produce the goods and services by the relevant entity. So that should be a fundamental concept. Cost is not the market value. So number three is the nature and source of the valuation inputs must be consistent with the basis of value. So the relevant facts and assumptions and the valuation purpose. So which tax provision or super provisions does it relate to? Number four, the valuer should adopt the most relevant and appropriate valuation methodology based on industry standards and practice. This may be influenced by the market data available, the circumstances relating to the market, and industry practice and standards of the asset being valued. Number five, international valuation standards recommend that valuers consider using more than one approach. So for tax purposes, we recommend that, where possible, a secondary or cross-check methodology should be applied to provide additional support for an estimated value from the primary methodology. Pretty much like a proof. Number six, the process of valuation requires the value to make impartial judgments as to the reliability of inputs and assumptions. For evaluation to be credible, it is important that those judgments are made in a way that promote transparency, for example, state the inputs and any assumptions made, and minimize the influence of any subjective factors on the process. Number seven, The valuer should assemble and record evidence by means such as inspection, as required, inquiry, computation, and analysis to ensure the valuation is being properly supported. So you've got to ask enough. Number eight, an estimate provided for a future date, like a prospective value, 
is frequently sought in connection with projects that are proposed under construction or under conversion to a new use. Market value for tax purposes requires valuation for a date specified by the legislation and a prospective assessment will not be considered reasonable or acceptable. So that's what the ATO has set out. That's a lot of requirements that they expect. So if you're really relying heavily on your valuation to support your tax position taken, you'd want to really have a look at those and make sure you've ticked them all. Yeah, this is definitely a lot. And I've also seen the ATO has published a list of main issues it commonly sees when conducting reviews of market value estimation. So I've come prepared for the list. <laughs> it includes an inappropriate choice of methodology given the circumstances and information available, an incorrect application of methodology according to industry and professional standards, Evaluation approach, including the basis of evaluation, doesn't align with the relevant tax and superannuation provisions, case law or ATO guidance. Unreasonable incorrect assumptions and inputs and the use of proxies based on historical performance. Omission of relevant information available on the valuation date. Inconsistencies with evidence, for example, legal documentation. Reliance on post-valuation date information and future events that it cannot reasonably be foreseeable at the valuation date. Inappropriate apportionment of value across assets, so basis, evidence, calculation. Inappropriate choice of comparable assets on which to base valuation, chosen entity and assets. Lack of support for size, risk and other adjustments to the chosen discount rate or capitalization multiple. I'm almost done here. <laughs> A lack of appropriate analysis and scrutiny of base information. Inappropriate use of averaging. Insufficient market evidence for inputs and assumptions, failure to verify inputs, so both subjective and unqualified, insufficient or incorrect documentation, and omission of assumptions from the valuation report. That's a lot of things they're saying as an issue. Actually, you mentioned one that I think is interesting with the transactions that we do for clients, and that's where we get undissected proceeds. So we sell our business, and it's the allocation of those proceeds across different assets. Yeah. yeah. I think that we see a lot in that space. So it's interesting that they've identified that inappropriate apportionment of value across assets. Interesting. So on to my third question. How do you select the right valuer? Mm, some would say it's easy. They just go, go for the cheapest. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there can be large differences in the cost of evaluation. But the main thing is, do you select your fit for purpose option? So as a tax professional, who needs to engage a professional value for a client, there are several factors that you can consider when determining if a value is good or not. So if I need to get a third party or as a business owner, I need to engage someone to do a valuation, there's a number of factors and I've given them my ranking. See if you agree or disagree. Some will have a different order, but I've put communication and service. A good value should be responsive to your questions and concerns and provide clear and concise information in a timely manner. They should also be able to explain the valuation in simple terms that you can understand. Cost. Well, obviously that was going to be there somewhere. So I'll put it second. I didn't put it first. While cost should not be the only factor in determining the quality of a valuer, it is important to consider if their fees are reasonable and competitive with other valuers in the industry. Number three, I've put reputation. You should also consider their reputation in the industry. This can be assessed through online reviews, testimonials, and referrals. Number four, qualifications and experience. 
A good valuer should have appropriate qualifications, and that's important that you do understand that they are actually qualified to give that valuation. Have comparative data and experience to value companies and assets similar to the ones you need valued. And then the methodology. So a good value should be explain the methodology they're using to value your company or its assets. It should be consistent with industry standards. So there are sort of elements that you might reorder, but they're the elements you should consider when you are deciding who is going to value. I think the fit for purpose is really key because obviously the ATO has got different rules. If you're going to a sale transaction, say we're selling our business, it doesn't really matter what I value it at. I want to have an idea in my head, but it's really a, it's the power of negotiation. So I can pay a fortune for a valuer, but that's not necessarily what arm's length parties are going to pay. So I potentially would get a guide on valuation, like the other parties probably are more likely the purchase is more likely to have a, a robust valuation. It's still going to be what you negotiate and what you end up on. As long as it's arm's length, then it's an arm's length you know, negotiation. The allocation of that, if you're selling different things, is probably going to be a bit more subjective. And maybe you need to understand what the underlying assets are than the top line price. Yeah. So I think that that's probably don't overcook evaluation, get evaluation, but depends on what you're using it for. If it's for a transaction that doesn't mandate evaluation, so maybe it's not a tax transaction necessarily, it's a commercial transaction, then you don't want to spend a fortune on evaluation when you end up really far from that because you wanted to sell, but they didn't want to buy it for that price. So who knows? But the other thing about interacting with a value is that they really should be asking you a lot of information. So some will send you a spreadsheet to complete and ask for a whole bunch of documents and other ones will might send you an automated questionnaire. Um, the information they're going to need are views on your business risks, questions about the business environment that you operate in, your forecasts, and any historical financial information. So quite a lot of information yeah. that you're going to provide them. After all that, what can you expect for the deliverable? Not a one-pager. <laughs> yeah, so your evaluation, probably a one-page evaluation is not going to meet any of those ATO criteria. You can go with that. And the report that you get with your valuation should have the purpose and scope, the details of the asset being valued, maybe the shares, maybe it's the units in the unit trust, maybe it's individual assets, maybe it's goodwill. The assumptions that are relied upon by the valuer, the definition of value, the relevant standards of valuation being applied. They need to outline the work that they've performed, the conclusions they've reached, there'll be risks, disclaimers and indemnities, terms of the engagement, including the valuer's independence and the date of the valuation and the date the report was issued. So my final question, what happens if you don't have a valuation that meets the ATO's expectations? So we've outlined it earlier where the valuation is relevant for tax purposes. Where the amount you have used varies the tax outcome, the ATO may actually review your valuation. So they've advised that when they do review it, these are the things they consider a number of things. One is the value of the asset. The type of asset involved, so is it intangible asset, they're more likely to increase the risk of you being different from the ATO. The materiality of any potential tax adjustment, and where I see that's relevant, is potentially with those small business CGT. So maybe their valuation pushes you outside the small business eligibility criteria versus yours. That's quite a big risk. The complexity of the valuation process that's been undertaken and the documentary evidence to support the valuation. So they generally use a valuer to confirm whether the market value you've used is acceptable, 
and assess whether the valuation process complies with the accepted valuation industry practice. Broadly, the review involved examining how adequately the process was documented, the market value definition used, the appropriateness of the chosen method, and the underlying assumptions and information. So it's really important that your report and the other information surrounding the valuation process is kept. So what happens if they disagree with evaluation? Well, where this results in underpaid tax, there may be interest, penalties, as well as the actual amount of tax shortfall. Where there's been evaluation that meets the guidance that by the ATO, we do not expect there would be high penalties, if any, just because they disagree. However, if it was not evaluation and there should have been one and there's a tax shortfall, we would expect the ATO would take a pretty dim view when levying penalties on you. So you better to have evaluation that's well supported, that's undertaken by a properly qualified person, even if the ATO disagrees with it, you better to have that than not have tried at all. Does that make sort of sense? So we've actually run through a whole bunch and it's a little overwhelming how often you may need evaluation, a couple for your own purposes and then a lot for tax and super. But hopefully you've got a little bit more clarity, feel a little smarter. And this is the end of our Smart Not Tax and Business podcast. My name is Sally Preston. I'm Ellie. And we'll talk to you next time. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Smarten Up Tax and Business. I hope you found the information valuable as you navigate your entrepreneurial journey. If you did, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow business owners. Remember, what we've talked about today is not a substitute for getting formal advice from an accountant or lawyer that is more specific to your circumstances. But knowledge is power when it comes to getting your taxes right. And it can also save you a buttload of money too.